with a new podcast every day of the Premier League season. This is Football Social Daily. Is Antonio finding it too tough to take at Tottenham? The Spurs boss cut a dejected figure last night after defeat at battling Burnley means it's now four losses in the last five Premier League games for Conte. And the Italian even hinted in a revealing post-match interview that he could quit his job and that the club need to assess his future. Turmoil at Turf Moor for Tottenham yesterday, but it was delight for Deitch as his Burnley side moved just a win away from safety and with a game in hand. Leeds United are no doubt in the Claret sights as their wretched form this season continued. Bielsa's boys battered by Liverpool 6-0 it finished at Anfield. The Reds cut the gap at the top to just three points in the title race. And from Merseyside to Madrid, Manchester United came away from their Champions League first leg knockout tie with Atletico with a point after youngster Anthony Alanga snatched a late equaliser. United were on the ropes in the first half, but just how big could that strike from the Scandinavian shape up to be? Loads of football to get stuck into on today's podcast, including Arsenal against Wolves in the top flight tonight. But you're in the right place to keep on top of all of the goings on in the Premier League. This is Football Social Daily, the only podcast with a new episode every single day of the season. Hit subscribe and that way you'll be right up to date with every single show. I'm Niall McCorn. Thanks for joining us and joining me today. We have Sports Social's Joel Tudor. Morning, Joel. Morning. Um, it's funny you mentioned Scandinavia because it looks like I'm about to get snowed in in the south of Manchester as well. So uh, <laughs> that's a good start. Well, that means you won't be able to get the delivery that you're eagerly expecting expecting this morning um joel said before we <laughs> started recording if i go missing for five minutes i'm just going to get the parcel that's due to be delivered but you haven't told us what it actually is so it, i hope it's something important for you to miss the podcast it's um it's my flight tickets for i was gonna say st petersburg but maybe not <laughs> <laughs> well joel will be jetting off um but the man of the moment who was right next to a jet on the runway at manchester airport earlier this week sports reporter ben ibsen how you doing, Ben? Good to have you back, mate. <laughs> I'm very good. I'm very good. Thank you. Niall, I was trying to think how long it's going to take for you to mention something like that. But what are we in? About two minutes in and it's already been mentioned. <laughs> well, get out of the way early because I think you need to talk us through that moment. What happened on the runway as Manchester United were jetting off for Madrid for their Champions League game. A couple of days ago, you got up close and personal with Cristiano Ronaldo, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a pretty, pretty interesting one, to be fair. There's a lot of, a lot of headlines online as I showed you the one from the Sun yesterday the Sun usually not not the best headlines or the best stories put out there but they called me clueless clueless MUTV reporter I was like yeah fair enough (laughs) (laughs) but I started recording the link as Ronnie was on his way popped his head over my shoulder and it's gone everywhere everywhere it's incredible what did he smell like or did you not smell him? <laughs> I think it would have cost me if I tried to smell him, wouldn't it? <laughs> we'll leave it there. We'll talk about Manchester United's game at Atletico later on in the podcast. But first, we have to start with Premier League affairs. And where better to begin than at Turf Moor, where Burnley beat Tottenham by a goal to nil in the top flight last night. But after the game, that's where all the drama happened. Antonio Conte, the Spurs manager, hinted in several post-match interviews that he could quit his role at the club. At the time of recording the podcast, which is what, seven minutes past ten on Thursday morning, he's still in a job. But we don't know what might happen between now and the end of the day or now and even the weekend. It was a huge win for Burnley last night. Ben Mee's powerful head of the difference. We'll discuss the Clarets and their current form shortly. But that's now four defeats in the last five Premier League games for Antonio Conte's side. He said that 
discussions need to be had with him and the club to assess the situation. And also, Joel, he mentioned that his future will likely be a part of those conversations. To me, Conte sounded like he was ready to give up. What do you make of it? I don't know about you guys, but he sounded like the first manager who sacked a club. <laughs> He's just so dismissive <laughs> of Tottenham. He's like, I'm done with you. Like, I'm the guy leading the club now. Uh, but I mean, with this situation, I think the writing's been on the wall for probably since the summer when he actually declined the offer from Tottenham when they were interested in signing him. And I think those issues have now come to the surface in terms of what the issues were when they originally spoke. Clearly, in January, I think he's made his mind up following that January transfer window. Uh, he didn't get his main two targets, which were Luis Diaz and Adama Traore, and instead got probably you know his second or third choice, and that was only due to Paratici's relationship with his former club. So I think without that, they would have been well and truly screwed in January, and even still, I don't think he's massively happy with it. And I think this is the main reason why. It's the fact that he didn't get the ones he wanted, he signed on the premise that he will get the players he wants and he'll be able to build the side that he wants. Because as we know, with Antonio Conte's sides, they're very particular in terms of his system and the kind of characteristics of players that he wants. And if he's not getting the right players, he's not going to get the right results. And I'm sure a lot of people will be saying on the flip side, well, Antonio Conte's an amazing manager, so surely he should be getting the most out of the players that he has. He can't start lashing out because... You know, he's won uh, one game in the last four and he's had a lot of losses. It's the first time in his career that he's had this amount of losses in his in one big congested period. But then I would say that, you know, Tottenham knew what they were signing up for. They knew exactly what they were going to get. And this doesn't surprise me at all. And I think Levy's probably looking back to the summer thinking, you know what, it probably was best for all parties that he wasn't signed because we can't match his ambition and we can't match what he wants to do with this club because... I don't know what the reason is. Apparently, they're not as cash-strapped as everyone makes out. So it's a very tough situation. But for me, yeah, he's sacked Tottenham Football Club. <laughs> I think it's an interesting one. And to build on the point you've made there, Joel, about him not having the players he wants, obviously four left in the January window, including Ndombele and Deli Ali, and two came in. I think he wanted more than two to come in. So I totally get your point. And I also agree with you when you say he isn't used to losing. That is absolutely true. He suggested himself, Ben, that maybe he isn't a good as, ma- as good a manager as he thinks he is and that he's too honest just to accept the current situation, particularly with the amount of money he's getting paid. I don't think we're all in disagreement here. He is a top, top manager and Spurs do need work on their squad, but he should be doing better regardless for me. Joel says he doesn't get the players that he wants, but he's still got Kane. He's still got Son. They've shown that they're capable of pulling out a result as they did against Man City at the weekend. So... When are people going to start suggesting that Conte maybe needs to be doing a little bit better? Because it's really not working out at the moment. Well, yeah, that's a very, very good question. And like you said, the vi- the one victory that came in the last five league games was against Manchester City. And it was a Harry Kane performance. It was a fantastic display by him and probably earned the win for Tottenham. But if you just look at the games that they've lost, 1-0 to Burnley, 2-0 to Wolves, 3-2 to Southampton. The 3-2 to Southampton, you wouldn't probably say is a very... Obviously, none of them are very Conte performances in terms of being defensive, but conceding that many goals, three goals against Southampton is just a poor performance. But I would agree with Joel in terms of 
Spurs are struggling to match Conte's ambition. So is this him saying half-heartedly that he is giving up and that maybe he is wanting out and he's not as confident as he was when he first came into the job? He sort of realised how it's run behind the scenes and it's not what he wants to be in in his managerial career. But it's certainly interesting point, him saying that he's not quite where he thought he was in terms of his his career and how good he is as a manager because as you said we can all agree he's a fantastic manager the history he's had and I'm sure if he went on to another club he'd probably continue that reign but at Tottenham it just doesn't seem to be the right fit obviously they're still in the FA Cup so that's something to go towards for him if if he was to win any silverware this season but just watching his interviews last night he just didn't look half as bothered as, as a manager should do and as a manager you're at the top you're leading the club's line And yeah, it just wasn't good viewing for Tottenham fans. We know he's an emotional guy, Ben. He looked defeated to me. I thought in his post-match interview, the way he conducted himself, both in terms of what he said to the radio stations and to the TV broadcasters, he was almost shrugging his his shoulders and just saying, this is just too difficult for me, which is not something we've, we've come to expect from Antonio Conte. But then again, he does have this emotional nature to him where it wouldn't be that big a shock if he just quit tomorrow because we know that It needs to be a perfect environment for him. And if it isn't, which at the moment it doesn't seem like it is, then there's a chance he could leave. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, he is an emotional guy. And that's usually a positive frame of mind. He's usually up on a touchline, going crazy. His players in a positive mindset, trying to get the best out of him. But last night, he just, he looked shrunken. He just didn't look happy in the environment he was in. The results obviously reflecting that, which is is quite odd considering the performance against Manchester City. Maybe that was just a one-off and he perhaps didn't expect that of his team. He thought he might go to Manchester City and and not get that win. But the 1-0 against Burnley last night, we'll talk about Burnley's performance soon, but a very Burnley performance from then. And maybe he's just realising that this league wasn't what he was expecting anymore. Yeah, definitely think that This could be an interesting 48-hour period for Tottenham Hotspur. I think Spurs fans are a bit confused, Joel, because after the Man City game, he was obviously, like Ben says, in that emotional moment of straight after the game, elated with the victory. And then a couple of days later, they go and lose 1-0 to Burnley. And we'll talk about Burnley in a second. They are in decent form as they battle to survive in the Premier League this season. But where is it going wrong for Conte? You can't just blame the fact that there's a lack of investment. Because, as I mentioned before, they've still got quality players and they can beat teams like Man City. So so where's the problem here? What's the issue? I'm equally as confused because obviously after that really amazing Manchester City perform, uh, away performance, he was saying how you know it was one of the best group of players he's ever worked with and everything was so rosy and you couldn't say a bad word and then suddenly he gets another defeat. And to me, it just seems as though he's a manager who's never been in the trenches before. He's never experienced a bit of adversity in a role where, you know, he's got he's, he's not got the best team in the league. He's not got a Juventus or a Chelsea who've got the most ultimate financial power and the hierarchy have got the, the power to move mountains a little bit. With this situation, he is, you know, he's in the outskirts. He's not in the top four sides anymore. And it's a, it's a big challenge for him. And I just think he's not, he's just not used to it. He's never been in this circumstance in his managerial career. And the only way for him to get a reaction is I guess go against the club which we've seen throughout his career he's not afraid to do that um, because as we've seen he's an ambitious guy he's used to challenge of the titles every year not talking about scraping top four which he actually mentioned as well and 
Yeah, you say he has been invested in, but I mean, as we've seen in the past, it doesn't matter if he's been invested in, he needs the correct players. I remember Inter Milan, you know, he was getting players like Victor Moses from Chelsea and Damian and uh, Romelu Lukaku, which was a massive one for him to sign. I think if he didn't sign those kind of players, he wouldn't have carried on. And he's not really in it for the paycheck. He's in it for the glory. And if he doesn't get the right players, he won't stay. I think in terms of the players, though, you mentioned the likes of Moses. But when he was at Chelsea, he turned Marcos Alonso and Victor Moses into the two best wingbacks in the Premier League. And he won the title with those two players. So it's not like he's incapable of turning players into, you know, something better than they are. It's true. Um, why couldn't he do that again at Tottenham? I, I don't understand why people are saying, well, he's not had the money to spend and he's not brought in the players he wants. Well, he managed to turn pretty average players into very good ones when he was at Chelsea. So what's stopping him doing the same at Tottenham? It's true, but I think it's a very case-by-case thing. And let's not forget as well, at Chelsea, he had some. He had Kante probably at his absolute peak. He had Diego Costa at his absolute peak. Chelsea were a team full of killers, I would say. They were used to, you know, winning. Whereas this Tottenham side, I mean, who do you look to? Conte's the winner in the side. That's it, really. Um, I think it's a very case-by-case situation that he's in and he's just not used to it at all. And the Tottenham board will have been well aware of this. Paratici will have been absolutely well aware of this. And I think they were willing to take the gamble based on the fact that they knew they wouldn't be able to match every single player he wants because Tottenham, let's not forget Tottenham in the, in the transfer window just gone, they targeted the right players, but it's just the fact that they didn't have the right stature as a club. I mean, they got beaten by Barcelona to Adama Traore and they got beaten by Liverpool to Luis Diaz. I mean, you can't really knock them for that. Potentially, they could have executed the deal much more quicker for Diaz because they were interested in him way, way before in January. But yeah, Conte's... I think he's he's not at the right club to match. It's kind of like, you know, when a top, top player goes to manage a club, uh, which is lower, lower down in the leagues, and he just can't understand why they can't function the way he does. It feels like that to me. Conte is just a level above in his mentality and his, where he wants to take the club and the club just aren't following. I don't know whether now that he's had a night to sleep on it that... He'll feel maybe different this morning. Um, I'm sure a few Burnley fans this morning will be waking up with a sore head, Ben, after a few beers last night. Massive result for them. In terms of the context of the Premier League table, it puts them in 18th, 20 points. They've got a game in hand on Newcastle. They've got two games in hand on Leeds United. A win in their next game, which is against Crystal Palace at the weekend, will take them out of the relegation zone. So it's, it's easy to kind of understate just how big that result is for Burnley. They could possibly reel in Newcastle, Leeds and Everton in the next few games if they keep going. That's a huge three points for the Clarets. Oh, it's a huge three points. And if you just look at the bottom of that table, it is incredibly tight. It goes up to 13th place Aston Villa. They could even get roped into it as well as it is absolutely incredibly tight. But Burnley focusing on them, a game in hand on Newcastle. And if you can string a couple of victories together at this stage of the season, they might not be worrying about it in a month's time. If they can get two or three victories, then they might be might be playing sailing because it is so tight down there. But yeah, what a victory. 1-0, classic Sean Dyche. And I would say one one signing that's impressed me the most for, for Burnley in January was Waghorst. He's been absolutely incredible. Replacement for Chris Wood. And if anything, he's probably doing a better job than, than Chris Wood has been doing recently. He's obviously been a, a huge player for Burnley over the years. But an incredible victory. And maybe when they were looking at that game against Tottenham, they thought, if we can get a point from that game, we will be happy with it. 
but a fantastic performance and to keep a clean sheet as well it's, it's such an incredibly big three points for Burnley yeah absolutely they must be buzzing with the way things are going at the moment over at Turf Moor. Sean Dyche always said to keep the faith. Their goal difference as well is minus eight, which is 30 goals better off than bottom club Norwich and considerably better as well than than Watford. Miles better than Newcastle, uh, marginally better than Everton, way better than Leeds. So if it does get down to the, you know, the bare bones and we're right to the wire with goal difference maybe deciding a relegation spot, Burnley are in a pretty good place at the moment huge win for them on the flip side a terrible crushing defeat for Leeds United Liverpool ruthless last night smashing six past Leeds at Anfield I'd call it a cutthroat performance from Liverpool Joel who utterly dominated from start to finish I must admit I was watching the Manchester United game last night so I only managed to catch the extended highlights this morning and I know that doesn't give you the full story of a game but it reminded me of an FA Cup or a League Cup tie when a Premier League side comes up against a lower league opponent and you see chance after chance after chance and goals are flying in. Liverpool are now unbeaten in 12 games in all competitions. They've won 10 of those games. The gap to City is just three points. I think that they announced last night that they're not out of this title race yet. Yeah, I couldn't work out if Liverpool were amazing or Leeds were just very, very poor because I think they conceded around 15 (laughs) in the last five games, which is quite a telling story in itself. But yeah, as you say, I think with Liverpool, it was just a very clean and clinical performance. I don't think you could spot a flaw in it at all. Um, This is the first time, I think, in Klopp's Liverpool career where he's actually had a little bit of depth to play with obviously he's now lost Jota uh, as soon as they had a forfeit side but it's the first time he's been able to play with that front three a little bit and kind of manoeuvre it around and I think judging on how poor Leeds have been in the last few games the writing was on the wall for this one especially against Liverpool at Anfield who at the moment seem untouchable there uh, in the current circumstances but when you look at Liverpool's just how consistent they are is is strange because you know a month ago it seemed as though they were so far off I remember looking at the table and I think they were 10 9 points away from City we we were even talking about on the podcast how uh, you know City are running away from it and suddenly they're literally breathing down the necks and I think it's just testament to how consistent they've been they've only lost three games in all competitions in 365 days which is just ridiculous amounts of consistency and that's what you need to win the big titles and it's it's going to take a lot I think Liverpool are um, are their their own worst enemies in terms of losing this because they seem to just be unbeatable in the in the games where you know you would think that they would win them so I mean god it's going to go to the wire this one I think in terms of the who's going to I couldn't call who's going to win it now just because they're both relentless in their victories Yeah, Manchester City currently top still by the margin of three points. Both sides have played the same amount of games. Obviously, City losing to Tottenham means that that gap is now just three points. We've seen these two sides go hammer and tong in the last few campaigns in the Premier League. Maybe last season aside, but there was that famous season where I think Liverpool ended up getting 97 points and didn't win the Premier League title because City got 98. And it basically boiled down to the games that they had against each other. Keep your eyes on Sunday the 10th of April because City hosts Liverpool at the Etihad Stadium. And if things go the way they're going, that could be the biggest game of the season and may even decide the Premier League title. But in terms of the bottom of the league, we've already discussed the fact that Burnley are trying to reel in the sides above them. Leeds, I think you're right, Joe. I think they were woeful. They desperately miss Phillips and Bamford, two of their key players. 
But I wanted to ask you, Ben, they've had a lot of injuries, but when does that stop becoming an excuse? They are dangerously close to that relegation zone and surely now they've got to be worried about getting sucked into it because they've had injuries a long, for a long time, yes, but you know, that you need to overcome that. That's the adversity of the Premier League. You need to get beyond that and find a way to get points. Absolutely. And this is the thing with Leeds, that they've been so hit and miss this season. With They've picked up seven points in their last possible 24. With 3-2 win against West Ham, a 3-3 draw against Aston Villa. But then you've just got losses everywhere. And you speak of the injuries and you sort of question, is it how hard Bielsa's getting to work behind the scenes? Are they all giving 100%? And as you hit January and going forwards, these players start slowing up and the injuries start impacting you a little bit more. Because as we know, they're they're using a lot of their youth players. Um, but this is the Premier League. You've got to be ready for these things. And if they're not ready, then they're going to get sucked into this relegation battle. There are only three points from safety and it's looking tight. And the, the fact is, the, the, res, the fixtures they've got coming up for them as well, it's not looking too promising. And I think that, yeah, like you said, they could definitely get dragged in there and the injuries really aren't helping them at all. I think the question is when it comes to Leeds is, have they been overachieving, Ben, for ages? Because we talk about Bielsa and how hard he gets the players to work off the ball and on the training ground with all of the running and all of the drills and the kind of murder ball, they used to call it, didn't they, in terms of a nickname of, of how Bielsa gets his uh, players going because it's so physically exhausting are, are these just I don't want to sound too harsh on Leeds and be disrespectful but are, are some of these players championship quality players that have exceeded expectations for two three maybe even four years now and are just starting to, to dip back down to the level where maybe we can expect them to be is that a harsh assessment or have Leeds actually overachieved do you think yeah, I don't know if it's about Leeds overachieving. I think that the group of players they've got and the way they play their football is is very incredible. And last season especially, everyone thought it was exciting. Everyone wanted to get involved in this Bielsa ball. How exciting it was to see it happening and how it was beating teams so easily. They were so open, so attacking, and it was such good football to watch. Whereas this season... Teams have become wise to it. They know how it's going to work out. As we look at, they've been losing by huge margins to, to certain teams, which makes you question, have they done their research on Bielsa, his style of play? Obviously, then the injuries and that come into it as well. If you've got different players in the positions where they're supposed to be marking, man-marking, and they get beat one-on-one, one -on -one, because we know that that's what a Leeds football is a lot about. It's about that one-on-one -on -one marking and if they don't get the better of the, their opposition opponent, then um, it can it can get pretty ugly pretty fast. Obviously, the 7-0 against Manchester City, the big hit against Manchester United earlier this season. And it's just... It, I think it's a fact of they've almost been worked out. And maybe if Bielsa was ever to go and someone else was to come in with the same group of players, I think that they might bounce back and probably pick up some more results if they were playing different football. But also you can't disregard that this Bielsa ball still works against certain teams because when they come up against certain teams, they beat them one-on-one, -on -one, man for man. So it's just, like I said, very hit and miss and Leeds are probably one of the most difficult teams to 
predict a scoreline in the Premier League. No, I think you're right. And they should be worried, Leeds United, from the performances that they've turned in and the goals that they've conceded. Six last night to Liverpool in the Premier League. Relegation is looming over them. They'll need to hope that there are three worse teams than them at the end of the Premier League season. One of those teams that could well be sucked down back to the Championship is Watford. They also played last night against Crystal Palace. We'll talk about that game later on in the show. But next on Football Social Daily, we're going to turn our attentions to Europe because it was the Champions League last night. Atletico won, Manchester United won. We'll talk about that next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from Sports Social. My name's Niall. I've got Ben Ibsen and Joel Tudor alongside me and we're going to focus on the Champions League now. It was the last 16 last night, the first leg at the Wanderer Metropolitano between Atletico and Manchester United. It finished one apiece. Atletico dominating the first half in Madrid, completely outplaying United. Joao Felix scoring after just seven minutes with actually what I thought was a very good header, leaving De Gea with no chance as it rattled in off the post. But they also put their foot on the gas and really stretched United, putting pressure on them at the back, starving the Reds of any real chances. But second half, they went into the break 1-0 down. Rangnick made some substitutions. He brought on Matic and Alanga, amongst some others. And it was Alanga who popped up with a crucial equaliser on 80 minutes after a much-improved second-half display from Manchester United. Now, Joel, you're a United fan. So with the way that that first half went over in Madrid, you would have taken 1-1 for sure at the end of the game, wouldn't you? Or maybe even a 1-0 loss. It was it was that much Atletico domination. Yeah, I was just going to say, I would have taken a 1-0 defeat after that half-time performance. My God, it was just... it took a, I think it took a, a piece of my soul that first half. It was that bad. It was just... <laughs> Everything went wrong. You saw Atletico Madrid, probably the worst Atletico side in about 10 years, completely camped in United's half and pushing them back, which you would have thought would be the opposite scenario. And just they were just absolutely battered, even with the likes of Koke, Griezmann, Suarez, who weren't even featuring. Um, and it was just, everything went wrong. The whole team looked very disjointed. There was no basics being done right, no five-yard passes were meeting them. Uh, they couldn't really cope with Atletico Madrid's pressure at all in the first half. Um, and to be honest, they were really, really on the ropes completely. I think 1-0 was very, very um, lucky for United in that first half, considering just how much they got battered in that first half. And it, I think... Um, it was just, I think the lineup was completely wrong. I don't know why you would start Lindelof at right back because he offered absolutely nothing going forward. Um, Rashford at right wing has been tried and tested so many times and it just does not work. It's like playing with 10 men. So it was quite telling in that second half when you know he made three substitutions straight away and that's the thing that changed the game. And fair play to Rangnick for that because he was absolutely needed and I think if he didn't do that it would have been probably the tie done. And if we were to have played an Atletico side who actually had a very, very clinical striker, as they have done probably in the last eight years, where whether it's been you know an informed Griezmann or Suarez or Diego Costa, if that would have been the scenario, I think this tie would have been done within about 30 minutes because that's how much they pinned them back. I think they had a, 
one where it hit the post when it bounced off Lindelof, and that was just. Yeah. I think that and was then the Griezmann sign hit would... the bar later on yeah, in the game yeah. as well. So yeah, just... it could have definitely been different. It could. Have, it, this is what I mean, and I think they're the signs that we're end, we're going to end up going to the final now. I, I mean, I don't want to tempt fate or anything. <laughs> but they're they're the things you need to go your way, but <laughs> uh, no. But in all serious though, it was it, if if they play like that at Old Trafford in the return leg in three weeks' time, they're in for a very very long night because it was absolutely appalling. And the fact that it needed a youth player who was just totally came on with no fear, absolutely, as Rangnick said, he played as if his dream had just come true. That's the kind of character we needed. And in that first half, they looked like they're playing based on having to do it on a chore. And that's the that's the position we are. It was a smash and grab in Madrid. There's only five games to go until the final Joel. I love that. Not getting ahead of yourself or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, Niall. I have to keep my hopes up somehow. <laughs> the tie poised at 1-1. You're right. Anthony Alanga with 10 minutes to go. Bagging a real vital goal for Manchester United. The equaliser on the night. Questions over Jan Oblak and his positioning. I don't think Alanga got full purchase on the effort. But he did what he had to do. With 10 minutes left in front of 70,000 people. Ben, it's going to be one of those moments where, like Joel says, you know, it's kind of a dream come true, pinch yourself moment. He's racing through on goal in the Champions League, his first Champions League knockout appearance, United up against it, desperate for an equaliser, and he takes his chance. And I mentioned this yesterday when I was speaking to someone about the game, and it was just such maturity and composure that he showed to finish it off. I mean, he must be absolutely buzzing at the moment, Anthony Alanga. Absolutely. And he deserves it. He deserves that glory. And you you got to say that the shot itself was perhaps not the best contact from him. But then again, that's what, t- that's what made it a goal. That's what put it in the back of the net. If he hit it cleanly as he would have liked, it maybe wouldn't have ended up in the back of the net. But in terms of Alanga, he's, he's such a great guy. In terms of his personality, he's so grounded. His attitude is absolutely spot on. And as Joel mentioned, he is living the dream. Whereas you look at other players and it's like they're playing for a chore. It's like they don't exactly want to be there. And obviously, I don't want to shoot Marcus down because he's a fantastic player and a fantastic person. But when you watch him play football, he looks sad. It doesn't, he doesn't look like he's enjoying himself out there. So when you make that sub and you put someone out there like Anthony, who, by the way, is probably the quickest footballer I have ever seen. When you put <laughs> someone like that out onto the pitch, all he wants to do is make a difference. He wants to make a bit of a name for himself. He wants to get Manchester United a point or a win out of that game. And I'm absolutely delighted for him that he managed to finish that opportunity because... Obviously, he got the goal against Leeds, but he missed an opportunity against Leeds. He redeemed himself in that one. And thankfully, he didn't miss the one last night. And somehow, Manchester United escaped with a point, which didn't look likely after watching that first 45 minutes. Yeah, I think you're right about Elanga. He's absolutely rapid, but he's also a breath of fresh air for me. He's just enjoying himself and he kept his composure, like we say, when it mattered. And I think Rangnick deserves credit for his substitutions because against Leeds... Jill, he brought some players on who made a real difference against Atletico last night. The same thing, his substitutions, Matic shoring up the midfield, giving United a little bit more control in that second period. That enabled Bruno Fernandes to be freed up slightly more, doing less of the defensive work, able to pull some strings going forward. And it was Bruno's assist, um, his seventh in the Champions League this season, by the way, in consecutive matches as well. It's a remarkable record from him. Slides it through for Elanga. And that's the goal that United desperately needed. So in terms of credit being given towards the man making the decisions, Ralph Rangnick, surely you've been impressed as a United supporter with 
the timing of his substitutions and some of the choices he's made because they're really making an impact at the moment. No, 100%. I mean, since he's came in, it's been one loss in his since this well, since he came in against I think that was the Wolves game at home and since then yeah the performances have been very inconsistent shall we say but I mean they're better than what Ollie was producing towards the end of his time which you can only give credit to because Rangnick came into a, a squad which was just completely split completely disjointed and even at times it still does but it's the fact that he now has a set group of players who he trusts in and Alanga is one of them and for me you know when I watch him play it's almost like when Rashford first came into the side where every single game is like he's got something to prove and Rangnick definitely sees that and he saw that when in his interview when he said that he didn't want him to go out on loan because he saw something in him which showed him you know that he actually wants to prove a point in the Manchester United side and I think there's too many in there that are way way too complacent and when complacency sets in, it's toxic. It starts spreading and you lose your place and you lose your your abilities in, in a way. So Randick, for me, has been the guy who's made the difficult choices. For example, there was a game, I don't know if it was potentially Newcastle away, when he took Ronaldo off and, you know, he was having a bit of a fit on the on the bench. They're the decisions that you've got to do as a manager. Regardless of who you upset, the main focus is how is the team going to improve this game? And if you start letting ego and status get into the into the mix of what choices you make for your team, it's never going to work and you're going to have other players who are going to be unhappy because players get favoured or players get picked based on this, this and this. It should purely come down to who are the guys who are performing in training, performing on the pitch and actually have the attitude that actually says, I want to play. Uh, because as Ben said, you know, when you look at, for example, Rashford, it's not even just Rashford being targeted. There's a number of players out there where you look at them and you think, I mean, do you know how lucky you are to be on that pitch playing in a red shirt and representing United on a European on a European stage? And to be honest, I think a lot of them realise it. I think a lot of it goes down to confidence and the fact that at the moment is a very short-term basis in terms of Rangnick being there, which must be quite tough. Would United have crumbled last night if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was still the manager? I don't want to denigrate Oli. Might be a bit harsh in the way I've kind of phrased that question. But before Rangnick came in, we've seen performances like that from United before. So, so you know, that first half display isn't exclusive to United under Rangnick. We saw it under Solskjaer. We've seen it in the last 18 months from time to time from Manchester United. But they they hung on in there and they made the changes. And in the second half, they came back into it and got the goal. And, and the statistics argued... You could argue from the statistics from the game that 1-1 was probably a fair result, but it felt like one-way traffic in that first half. So under the previous manager, could you have seen United coming back into that or do you think they might have crumbled? Well, no, just on the basis that Solskjaer would never, ever have made three substitutions straight away. He would have waited and waited and waited. I think that was one of the biggest downfalls of his managerial career, his man management in games at times where he would wait too long to make that substitution. And when he did, it would be for the wrong player and change the system to the wrong... Everything, it, it just didn't seem to see the game at times, whereas Rangnick is not afraid to switch it up. I don't know if it's a case of ego or if it's a case of having too much trust on the players that you've picked initially. But I just don't, I don't see how it would have worked, especially, you know, when you think back to that Leipzig game, which we needed to draw to actually go through in the group, and we ended up getting absolutely capitulated there. Um, it, I, I just don't think I would have much confidence in it. But you know, 
I think it's best to focus on the fact that it hasn't worked out for a reason. It was the and it was for many many reasons. And I give Rangnick so much credit for the fact that he's willing to do decisions based on the team. Potentially that's due to the fact that he knows it's short term, so he has no one to you know he doesn't have to make friends with any of them. He needs to just make sure that Manchester United are actually going and progressing a little bit, which probably adds to the ease of his job. I would say, but he's done such a good job and. Um, I would take nothing away from the fact that, you know, Solskjaer's left a decent bunch of players, but it's a bunch of players who, I feel like half of them don't even want to remain at the club. And I think in the summer, we're definitely going to see that. And that's a difficulty for a manager when you've got players, you know, like Lingard, it's clear he doesn't want to be there, yet he's still playing games because the squad's really thin. Um, and probably amongst like you know Paul Pogba's contract runs out in three months it's not a great position to be in as a manager so he's got a lot of difficulties he's fighting against the tide at times um, but he's making the best of a really difficult situation and you've got to give him plaudits for that those are Joel's thoughts a Manchester United fan on United's draw in Madrid last night Atletico won Manchester United won the second leg at Old Trafford is in three weeks time or two and a half weeks time I believe not too long uh, until we find out who will be progressing to the quarterfinals of the Champions League don't forget you can get in touch with us on social media at the Sports Social on Twitter you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as well let us know what you think about this week's midweek action Premier League football taking place tonight as well Arsenal play Wolves at the Emirates. Big game in the top four race. We'll talk about that next. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Welcome back to the show. We've discussed two of last night's Premier League games, but now to tick off the final one, Watford losing 4-1 to Crystal Palace in the Premier League yesterday. Uh, Jean-Philippe uh, Mateta, Gallagher with a good goal and a brace from Wilf Zaha doing the damage uh, to Watford in the end. Even the steady hand of Roy Hodgson is making no real difference to their survival fight, Ben. It's looking pretty grim day by day for them. Seems to be getting worse the further the season goes on. It's looking very grim, yeah, and swapping and changing managers in, in terms of a bit of hope doesn't seem to be working for them. Roy Hodgson, I think a lot of people think he'd, he'd come in, as you said, a calm head, put the players together and say, look, we need to we need to regroup and, and push towards the end of the season, but 4-1 to Palace, is, and Palace are a good team, you can't discount that, but when you're, when you're at home to a side that, that are beatable in terms of where you are in the table, I think that it's it's a poor performance from them and it probably says a lot for for their season. And obviously going one goal down, but equalising straight away, that gives you the momentum. You think that they might push on. If they can grab the next goal, it's a huge goal, but they, they didn't do that. And 4-1's just a poor, poor result. And looking at where they are in the table, it's, it is... It's not looking good for any Watford fan. And we thought Norwich were written off earlier in the season. They've climbed up to just one point behind Watford now. So it it really does put it into perspective how much of a difficult season they are having. And like you said, Roy Hodgson's not bringing as much hope as Watford fans would have maybe wished. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Disappointing defeat for Watford last night. We won't spend too long 
on this game just because I don't think Watford fans will want to hear us uh, rip into them again. We have done a couple of times on this podcast. We got some stick actually for saying um, about Watford's methods of changing manager all the time, Ben, and, and the Watford fans were quite keen to let us know how wrong we were. But um, they're in the relegation zone and they're looking terrible and even someone as experienced as Roy Hodgson hasn't been able to sort the problems out. Um, I'm sure they'll give it a good go between now and the end of the season. Some big games still to come, of course, and it's not out of the question that they could survive. But as we said, it's looking harder and harder as the weeks go on for them. They lost 4-1 to Palace last night. Another big game in the Premier League this evening. Arsenal versus Wolves at the Emirates. Amidst all the other action, Ben, this game seems to be slipping under the radar a little bit. But looking at the table, it's absolutely massive for the top four race. Arsenal have got games in hand and they're in a strong position. Wolves have forged themselves as unlikely top four contenders. These two only played each other a couple of weeks ago with Arsenal winning. This could be massive for the Champions League race. Completely under the radar. Absolutely. Arsenal got three games in hand on Manchester United in fourth. And if they can win all of their games in hand, they go three points clear of United. And that's an incredible achievement. It's something that the way Arsenal started the season, you probably wouldn't have expected. And Wolves, as you say, surprising that they could be racing for the Champions League as well. So I think that this is, is going to be an absolutely fantastic game tonight. And you can't, it's kind of one of them games that you don't really want to see end in a draw. You want to see one of these teams win it and one of these teams put pressure on the others to make this race for, for the top four even more interesting because, like you say, West Ham are in the midst. Tottenham, whether or not they're going to continue their their push for the top four, but Arsenal-Wolves, you, you've got to fancy one of them to, to pull off the three points tonight and really put some pressure on. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a, a, a key game in the race for the top four. I think there'll be eyes on this. What's the best result here for those other teams chasing the top four, Joel? Would it simply be a draw? Because... West Ham are, are involved as well in a in a big game at the weekend against Wolverhampton Wanderers. I mean, Wolves are playing a massive part in this top four um, tussle. You know, you wouldn't have said that at the start of the season. I mean, if you want to bank on Wolves potentially dropping off, which I still think will happen, then you would say, you know, a Wolves win will probably, as a United fan, a Wolves win will probably be more beneficial just because I think Arsenal have probably got a little bit more in the tank when it comes to... Uh, the final edges of the season but I mean you can't discount them when you've conceded just 18 goals all season which is the third least in the league behind uh, Chelsea and Manchester City I mean you've got to take them seriously haven't you and I, I, I actually couldn't call how this is going to go because all it's going to come down to is literally consistency towards the final ends of the season and hoping at the fact that you know Chelsea potentially get dragged into it because that fourth spot is just being contended with with around five sides at the moment and it just seems very very on a knife edge but Wolves I think if they get a victory tonight I think that'll give them the belief that they actually can go and do it because I remember we talked about it I think two weeks ago I can't remember what game they got defeated in um and we were saying, you know, if they get that victory, they end up leapfrogging into fifth. And sometimes I think you need those psychological wins where even though you're not there, for example, in fourth or fifth, because teams below you have games in hand, it still gives you that belief that you can actually maintain that position. Whereas, you know, when you look at Tottenham now, they're in eighth. It doesn't look very great for them at the moment, even though if they win the two games in hand, they go up to fifth. So there's still plenty of twists and turns. But for me, I think the best result would probably be a draw just because Wolves are the dark horses at the moment and I'm just a little bit 
I hope I hope they're the dark horses in the similar way that Turkey were the dark horses in the Euros. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah, they're doing really well, Wolverhampton Wanderers. But I'm totally with Ben um, in terms of the way Arsenal are kind of just going about their business. And I seem to have said this so many times throughout this season that they're kind of flying under the radar. They'll have a loss every now and again and people will go, oh, same old Arsenal. They just can't get it together. But they're sixth. They've got three games in hand on Manchester United, as Ben says. And it's one of those things where I think Arsenal could be the... the, You say Wolves might be the dark horses. I think Arsenal could easily just just slide up that table without anyone really noticing. Um, if they beat Wolves tonight, they'll go a long way to doing that. So big game this evening in the Premier League between those two at the Emirates. Finally, I want to mention the Europa Conference League game that's happening tonight. Leicester City have travelled to Denmark to take on Randers. They are comfortably in control. I think they won the first leg by four goals to one. So this is a knockout game. The Randers coach was giving away the team yesterday about well over 24 hours before kickoff because he, he says it isn't going to make a difference. So he doesn't mind people having his team news. Um, Leicester basically through. But do you think Brendan Rodgers can use it, Ben, as a chance to play his side into some form and build some confidence, which has been lacking this season, particularly in the Premier League? Yeah, I think so. And it's always important to do well in in the Europa Conference League, especially when it's not going too well in the Premier League. It gives fans a, a kind of different hope. If they can go on and win some silverware in that, then then it's going to make it into a good season for them and they probably won't be too bothered about where they finish in terms of if they're going to be hopefully in the top 10, they will be hoping that. But if they can go on and have a good journey in that new tournament for them, then it's going to create a different kind of atmosphere at the King Power. And obviously, yeah, if they can do that, it will reflect on their form in the Premier League and hopefully they can pick up some wins in the next few games. They've got Burnley, Leeds, so very, very winnable games for them if they can do the job tonight and move on. If those are their next two fixtures, maybe Leicester could be, you know, the unlikely catalyst in a survival fight in the Premier League with Burnley and Leeds their next two games. That could be really interesting. The Premier League is shaping up to be fascinating this season. We are getting close to the cliché business end of the season. We're now approaching March and then I think after that is only about eight weeks to go. I think it's still 12, 13 games left to play in the top flight. The title race is looking exciting. The top four race is still yet to be decided and the relegation battle is looking absolutely brilliant. Really enjoyed today's podcast. Thanks very much, Ben. Thank you, Joel. Uh, Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again. The weekend's Premier League action, along with the Carabao Cup final between Liverpool and Chelsea as well, will be previewed on Friday night's The Dugout which is where former Premier League professionals will be joining me to look ahead to the weekend's games. Francis Benali, formerly of Southampton, and ex-England and Everton winger Trevor Stephen will be joining me on the show. So like I say, hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and you won't miss that. But from us today on Football Social Daily, that's it. And we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.